Hello and welcome to the Wild Heart Meditation Center podcast. We release these episodes every week on Wednesday mornings and the best way to support us is by clicking subscribe and taking a moment to rate the podcast wherever you are listening. If you'd like to support our efforts to keep the nonprofit Meditation Center open in Nashville, you can donate via Venmo by sending your donation to at Wild Heart Nashville, or you can make a donation through our website, wildheartmeditationcenter.org, by clicking the Donate tab. And one final announcement, we are very excited to offer the Wild Heart Labor Day Weekend Loving Kindness Retreat at Heartwood Refuge in Hendersonville, North Carolina, on September 3rd through the 6th. If you'd like more information about this retreat, please visit wildheartmeditationcenter.org and click the events tab, or you can sign up and learn more at heartwoodrefuge.org. Peace and love. Hope you enjoy. So the Buddha outlined three right intentions. The intention of renunciation, the intention of non-harming, and the intention of goodwill. And so this word intention, we may think of as goal, but not in this context. In this context, intention is more of how we're meeting this experience. Are we meeting this experience with a mind of renunciation? Are we meeting this experience with a mind of non-harming? Are we meeting this experience with a mind of goodwill? The word mindfulness has its root in in this word sati, S-A-T-I, sati. And this this word sati can really mean remember. And not remember as in recollect, but remember the present time experience. As we sit with the breath and our awareness wanders and we believe we're somewhere else, we go, oh, I remember. I remember to come back to the breath. I remember I'm here. So mindfulness is really that remember this present time experience. Remember where you are. Remember the breath. Remember the body. Remember uh, your intentions. So as we come back to the breath, remember to keep this intention, this attitude of renunciation, an attitude of non-harming, and an attitude of goodwill. So let's start with the first one. This, This attitude of renunciation doesn't really spark too much excitement, huh? renunciation. So renunciation really has a, has a connotation of giving up. It's like, oh, I renunciate from that thing because that thing is bad and wrong. <laughs> but really, in renunciation, it is, for me, like a gaining something. I gain freedom. Renunciation really has this quality of not needing. I don't need anything extra. When life is too extra, you go, I don't need all that extra. So we renounce all the extra. For me, I think if we don't fully understand this this term renunciation, it can be quite harmful for me, definitely. Because when we're told in black and white terms what is good and what is bad, I'm like, well, I'm just going to just stay away from what's bad. Because we can create really hard rule books for ourselves. And when we create these really hard rule books for ourselves, I find, well, me personally, I find myself denying myself. I'm denying myself from needs. I'm denying myself from desires. 
I'm denying myself from a shitload of fun. And I don't think that's what renunciation really means. So there's a story around this where Ananda, Ananda was the Buddha's assistant. Ananda was his cousin. He was a little younger than the Buddha, and he was kind of messy. I liked him. He was kind of like the fuck up of the community. But he was also really smart. So the Buddha had him give his talks for him occasionally. And then one day, Ananda was giving a talk to a group of lay people, not monks, like people like us that live everyday lives. And somebody asked Ananda, so they said, well, why is it that these monks and nuns like rejoice in renunciation they love renunciation they they celebrate renunciation they give up everything and they're so happy about it they shave their heads they wear robes they only eat certain times a day they only sleep in crappy beds like why are they so into that so much and ananda had no clue it's like well i don't know how to answer that because these lay people are like we're kind of doing the opposite like, I love eating food, and I love having sex, and I love sleep in nice beds. I love going on vacation. Like, this seems to be something not connecting here. And Ananda was like, yeah, you're probably right. Like, why are these monks and nuns so happy, and why are lay people having all the fun? So Ananda took everybody and said, come on, let's go ask the Buddha. And so they asked the Buddha this question. And his response was a bunch of things. He had a bunch of things that, that there's, uh, you know, joy of renunciation and all of that. But one key element I think can, that can inform us about renunciation and giving things up is uh, the other intention that I spoke of is harm, non-harming. He said, if you really focus on, if your actions are creating harm for yourself, are your actions creating harm for others or both? That should be key for your renunciation. You should be able to see your effects of your action. And when I spoke of right view last time, one of the right views we want to understand is karma. And not karma as, you know, karma is a very confusing word. Like it's used in all these different contexts and different spiritual faith. In, in this faith, it's about... Um, Action and outcome. Karma is really a Sanskrit word that means action, and vipaka means outcome. So to understand our actions have outcomes. And so this is the actions of the body, actions of our speech, and actions of our mind, too. So these actions have outcomes. So we want to see that. Like, what's the outcome of our actions? And if it creates harm in the world, embrace that guilt of knowing that created harm, maybe I shouldn't do this. And those in recovery know like there's plenty of inventory processes to look at how our own addictions create harm. And Joseph Goldstein calls uh, non-renunciation addiction. I like that. Non-renunciation as addiction. So while we can look at like things like drugs, alcohol, certain harmful behaviors as uh, things we need to renunciate from, sometimes it's a lot easier on paper than it is in the real world. Right? It's like, well, just do these three things. Renunciation, non-harming goodwill. Good luck. Just do that. But 
it's really, if we look at this karma, this momentum, it's actually a skill to develop. And so many times in the Buddha's teaching, he talks about skill. In mindfulness, he talks about a skilled turner. I'm not sure what a turner is, but I think it was some sort of profession at the time of the Buddha. Just as a skilled turner develops their practices is like developing mindfulness. So if you are not good at being non-harming, it's a skill we want to develop. And we see that we are creatures of habit. So we want to develop the habit of not creating harm. So it's this like the, the cliche, progress, not perfection. So just setting forth the intention to do less harm today. And then more and more and more as you go. So where I think these two that I want to look at, the, the two of renunciation and non-harming, really go hand in hand. Because non-harming, that we want to have that intention to not hurt others. And sometimes we may forget that intention. We feel justified to hurt somebody. Um, but really, I think that non-harming, I like to sometimes switch the word to compassion. Because if you have compassion, there's a good sense you won't be harming. If your actions are creating harm and you're dismissive of the harm, you're not being compassionate. Compassion is the heart's response to pain. So if you understand pain, you can know somebody else's pain, and you can understand that your actions may be causing that other person some harm and feel compassionate about that. But first things first, I think with like even in addiction recovery, it's like what is your addiction masking and what is calling for your love, for your compassion? What's calling to be felt and known? Because I think a lot of our, our harm and a lot of our addictions are really just a crappy substitute for self-love. And we have something inside of us, some brokenheartedness, and our heart is broken, and then we can just fill it up with our drinks and our drugs and our behaviors. But when we fill it up with that, we get, you know, I couldn't drink enough to stay drunk. So I sobered up, and I go, oh my gosh, this wound is here. I need to drink it back down. And, and then I sober up. Oh, got to drink some more. And that's why this is repetitive. That's why the problem is, isn't getting drunk. The problem is I can't stay drunk. So the idea is, when I'm not drunk anymore, I got this wound here. At certain points in my life, I need to just welcome in that wound and be compassionate towards that wound. And then there's the analogy when the heart breaks, it can break one of two ways. You can break closed. You can be hiding it with all the alcohol, the drugs, and the behaviors. Or it can break open. And you can be open with your wounds, open with your sorrows, open with your difficulties. And when it's open, something beautiful happens. We can start holding the world suffering, too. We see we're not that separate. We're in this together, in this dilemma of suffering. And so we can open up to create less suffering in this world through our actions. Because we start to understand my sorrow is your sorrow, my pain is your pain. And we're in this together. So how, how am I holding this pain? And that will make a world of difference. So it's almost like just embrace the suck. Embrace the pain. Be kind and gentle with the suffering. Because when we do, the harmful behaviors and the addictions kind of 
just fall aside. Because that habit of love starts coming up. And this is the third intention. This, this habit of love, goodwill, loving kindness, metta. That metta and loving kindness are generally an attitude we want to bring up into our lives. That there's a story of loving kindness, of metta, that I love telling because it's a ghost story. And if you've been to any of my talks, you've probably heard this over and over again. But in the, in the time of the Buddha, there were monks and nuns that were going on retreat. And they were going for three months out into the forest. And when they went out into the forest, they found a perfect spot for meditation. Green grass, soft grass to meditate on. Nice shade from the trees. There was nice crystal clear water close by. And it was perfect. So they went to go sit in this perfect spot to meditate. But as they went to meditate, the forest got a little antsy. They're they like, okay, humans are here. Um, but I'll tolerate them. But they kept on sitting. They wouldn't leave. So the, the trees in the forest were like, I got to get rid of them. And so they started attacking the meditators. They, they released tree demons, which are like tree ghosts. Tree demons started attacking these meditators. And they got scared and left. Left the retreat, left the forest. And they went to the Buddha and said, that's not working out. Like, we're not going into that forest. That shit is haunted. And the Buddha came back with, oh, no, go back out into the forest and wish them ease. Wish those tree ghosts loving kindness, friendliness. Be gentle towards them. And while you're at it, be gentle towards all things and all beings everywhere. And lift up this quality of goodwill and loving kindness. So they went back out into the forest. And they wished these tree ghosts, these tree demons, loving kindness, friendliness, ease, wanted the best for them. And what happened was they were able to be at peace with these ghosts. Some of them got enlightened even and they had a great time on their three-month meditation. So this is the attitude we want to lift forward, the attitude of goodwill. And there's a certain sense that it's like, yeah, easier said than done. And as we notice that, and even in the meditation today, that we have two minds. We have one mind that thinks thoughts all on its own. Just poof. A mind of irritation. Poof. I didn't think that. Poof. It just jumped into my mind. A mind of annoyance. Poof. It just jumped into my mind. Automatically shows up. We can't control that. That's just what's going to happen. That's the mind doing mind things. But we may notice that we have another mind that you can purposely think things. So this is the idea. If you can purposely think something, think thoughts of loving kindness. Other thoughts that just pop into your head, let those be thoughts that pop into your head. Okay, that's a thought that popped into my head. Peace and love to you, hateful thought. Peace and love to you, self-hatred. Thanks for calling me fat again for the 30th time today. <laughs> and then we welcome and may I be at ease with this mind that thinks I'm a fat. 
May I be peaceful with this mind, kind and gentle with this mind. May I be kind and gentle with myself. Not a good versus evil, a momentum. Because when we look at karma as habit and momentum, what we discover is some of those nasty thoughts are just outcomes from the karma of our past. That we've been thinking shitty thoughts to ourselves for so long, we shouldn't be surprised when we sit down and our mind thinks shitty thoughts. It's okay. Let that karma burn out. Let that thought burn out. Well, so what we want to do is lift up new karma, new action, new momentum. And that's how we're counteracting this mind, to have kinder thoughts in the future. Pushing forward that momentum. Easeful thoughts, gentle thoughts, kind thoughts. So when the Buddha taught these um, mind states, these intentions, he gave a, a sutta called Two Kinds of Thoughts. And he was thinking, like, how did I end up in this place of freedom from suffering. And what he said was, he, he put categories of two kinds of thoughts. He was like, okay, I put thoughts that lead towards suffering over here and thoughts that lead away from suffering over here. And he really categorized what's better for ending of suffering. And it's not moralistic. I want to say hatred is bad. Because that just doesn't make sense. It's like we're born into these bodies that just naturally hates shit, right? Doesn't it make fucking sense? Like, to hate? Like, pain? That sucks. Pain? Terrible. Makes sense that our mind thinks hateful thoughts, right? Pleasure? That feels good. I want more of that. I want more pleasure. Makes sense, doesn't it? But unfortunately, we're set up for survival, not happiness. Hating pain, great for survival. Makes sense. For our own sense of well-being, not so much. It's like almost if, like, just try to hate harder and see how you feel. Like, what does that feel like? Just even me, just right now, I'm like doing this with my hand and my shoulders, getting tensed up. It feels like crap to hate. But it makes sense for survival purposes. So what can I do? Okay, hatred over here. What can I do instead of hatred, but that will address the pain? Well, over here, we can put compassion. Let's try compassion instead of hatred. Natural to hate pain, but maybe we can go beyond survival and be compassionate towards pain. We can be tolerant and hold space for the pain. Be caring, kind, loving, gentle, nurturing towards the pain, rather than I need to get this out of here. And that's the hack that the Buddha found when we use these two types of mind. Compassion, away from suffering. Pain, more suffering. But it addresses the same issue. Pain it is going to be here. We can't do anything about that. Pain, inevitable. Whether we suffer over it is in these two sorts of thinking. Greed. Greed. Makes sense. We get all those chemicals in our system that feel so fucking great. We eat something that's delicious, see something that's attractive, smell something that's nice, get some comfort in the body. I want more of that. Don't you? 
And the problem is impermanence. It goes away. Everything goes away. So if our sense of well-being is reliant on conditions, and all conditions are impermanent, that means our sense of well-being will be impermanent as well. And I use this word conditions. You know? Conditions like air conditioning. We, we kind of try to control how things are. And in air conditioning, can we have a sense of well-being when the air conditioner isn't working? So all things in life change, move, transient, unreliable. So as things go away in life, can we still not turn on ourselves? So, yeah, like we want more pleasure. Pleasure is awesome. I'm going to give you that. Pleasure fucking great. Awesome. Great thing. But if all of our sense of well-being is relying on things being pleasant all the time, we're, we're going to be in a big mess. And that's what greed is. Greed's like, my sense of well-being is reliant on this thing being here and staying here, never going away. The truth is, that's going to go away. Whatever the thing you're, you're grasping over. So pleasure arises. Pleasure awesome. So we want appreciation for pleasure. Let's put that appreciation, like full understanding and appreciation for pleasure. This, this deep-rooted appreciation that knows whatever you like, it's still going to go away. Knowing that it's going to go away, I think, gives us a deeper sense of appreciation. I don't know if y'all have ever, like, done, like, death contemplations. I try to do it every morning. Why? Oh, for a number of reasons to validate some of the pains I've had around death. But one is it does give me a higher appreciation for life. If I wake up in the morning and think, well, this body is going to get old and sick and die. And everybody I love is going to get old and sick and die. It makes me go, well, I'm glad I'm here now. And I know it's going to go away. Let me try not to cling. If I'm on vacation, I know, okay, this vacation will go away. But it's fucking awesome right now. Right? So we can still hold the truth of impermanence. So much so that we bring in a higher sense of appreciation rather than greed and grasping for more. And then there's another end. You know, this other one, uh, what we can sometimes call ignorance. Ignorance. Uh, sometimes delusion. Which is the sense of, this means a bunch of things, but I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. Yeah. No. No, you're talking about pain. You're talking about impermanence. You're talking about death. What a fucking bummer. You know, I don't want to hear about this stuff. But we can find a way to be direct with these truths and find a higher happiness. We can settle for the lesser happiness by closing our eyes. And it will be, you'll be happy from time to time, but you'll also be suffering a lot too. But there's a higher happiness we can go for, which is peace. That we can find peace with the pain. We can find peace with the difficulties. We can find peace with the sorrows. We can find peace amidst the impermanence. So we have options. And this is all through mindfulness. So when we note the mind is grasping right now, okay, mind is grasping. Now what? what? What else can I do? Oh, maybe I can have appreciation right now. Oh, the mind is irritated. 
Well, what, what is the mind irritated with? Turn towards that and be gentle towards what it's irritated with. Oh, I can't believe we're still sitting here. My legs hurt. Uh, I want to go home. Uh, you know, turn towards the hurt leg. Turn towards the irritated mind. Be kind. Oh, I care about you, foot that hurts. Oh, I care about you, irritated mind. May you be at ease, irritated mind. So it's this intention is really about opening up our options to free us from suffering. Not a moralistic, this is the right way to think. Go see for yourself. This is uh, the, the, what the Buddha taught. Go see for yourself. This is directly you can experience this and see. If anything I said doesn't align with you, great. If it does, good. Take it with you. Go see. Um, I guess I'll just end it there.